Hey, good morning, everybody. Um, when I think about Christmas, uh, from the, the time that I was a little kid, Christmas has always been my favorite time of year. And that's for so many reasons. The colors are amazing. The red and green and the gold and the silver, light shining in the dark sky, driving around looking at people's Christmas decorations and display. Um, eggnog, it's my favorite. You either love it or you hate it. Um, cinnamon rolls, all the Christmas Eve food, that's very different from Christmas Day food, but Christmas Eve food in my family was usually Italian at my Aunt Marilyn's house. Christmas Day food is turkey and ham and rolls and lots of mashed potatoes and gravy and green bean casserole. And for me, pumpkin pie with like all the Cool Whip on one piece. Uh, for some of the, the adults in my family growing up, we'd go to my grandma's house in Virginia and she would always have a pie called mincemeat pie. I still to this day don't know what that is because I'm not eating something that's a pie that has meat in it. Just not gonna happen. Um, then there was always waiting for Santa to come and that was always exciting. And I remember one day, one Christmas Eve, I went to bed and I had a hard time sleeping and I really feel like I heard bells on the roof and I got so excited and that was just my, it was my, uh, like the okay that I got to go to sleep because I knew that when I woke up, there are gonna be presents everywhere. And then waking up and opening gifts and, and, and having more candy than anyone ever should. And it was all with my family in front of my grandma's fireplace. But most good memories for me also have some level of attachment to a sense of loss because as the years have gone by, um, as the philosopher Seneca once said, uh, you might not know who Seneca is, uh, but uh, he was a philosopher who said something that got put into a, a song that us 90s kids understand very well, and it was called Closing Time. Um, and he, he actually said, every new beginning comes from some other beginning's end. And in life, there are many beginnings, and I'm learning more and more as the years go by that the beginnings are always followed by endings. And that makes it tough because when you love and you, you, you lose, you lose someone, there's that pain that always exists. One of my most significant endings that I can think of uh, from my childhood or really my whole life is my last Christmas with my grandpa. Even though I was only six, I heard and I perceived a lot. So, so what I'd say to all the parents out there, your kids really pay attention to a lot more than you think. So I, I, I heard a lot about the conversations that he was having on that last Christmas. I watched my grandpa over the last few months, you know, over the months, have a harder time walking. And he was spending more time in bed. And he was often short of breath. And sometimes he even acted in a way that just seemed a little bit different from how I knew him. So at 4.30 or 5 a.m., you know, the time that you're supposed to get up and wake your parents and grandparents up, I woke the whole family up to go downstairs and open presents. And I remember pausing at the top of the stairs, kind of the landing of my grandparents' house. And I heard my grandpa whisper to my grandma and to my mom something that really shook me. He said, this will be my last Christmas. They didn't think that I heard them, but I did. And for the rest of the day, I carried a sadness inside of me. Now, the truth is I did enjoy everything still. I savored every little taste and every single feel of Christmas. I've learned over time that while sometimes people are right in predicting how long they have to live, um, sometimes they aren't. Um, and, but my grandpa, he was really, really close. Um, he really had a sense. I, I, I feel like that must have been a bittersweet gift for him from God 
for those of us left behind to remember. Because my grandpa died that next April, just months after Christmas. And to this very day, when I think about people that I'm excited to see, when I cross over into our, our heavenly reward, and Jesus says, who do you want to see first? My grandpa is going to be one of those very first people that I want to see. But as a six-year-old losing my grandpa, my world broke as I knew it. My hero was gone, and I just knew that Christmas was never going to be the same again. I remember actually thinking that. It could never be as good as it once was. Once you lose those you love, holidays change, don't they? They're never really quite the same. Maybe you're feeling that today. Maybe this year was tough. Maybe uh, a decade ago was hard, and you were just sitting with a lot of joy and sorrow together. I just want to say to you, Give yourself permission as you enter this Christmas season to feel whatever it is that you feel. That's okay. That's what love does. It shows up often in the form of tears as we're grieving. Tears flow from our eyes and down our cheeks, and it really connects our heads and our hearts to what is going on. So if you're experiencing that today, we just want you to know that we see you and we're with you. We're in week two of our Christmas Advent series called A Thrill of Hope. We're taking four Christmas hymns and looking a little more closely at the words of the songs so that we do not miss out on the fullest meaning of Christmas. The truth is, if Christmas is only about things that we experience in this life, isn't that kind of a little bit disappointing to think of? If Christmas is only about opening presents with family members and presents kind of lose their luster after a couple of days or a week, and family members aren't here forever either, isn't that a little bit disappointing? Shouldn't it be about more? If the very best that we get as people at Christmas is family and friends and good food and fun and presents, as, as great as those things are, if, if celebrating this season is ultimately just about, um, is, is just sort of like buying a car and then wondering why the value of it went down when you drove it off the lot, then I think we've kind of missed the point of it all, haven't we? When I was in college, I had a reawakening to the thrill of hope that Christmas brings because it was then that I understood the greater meaning of Christmas, that it was about so much more than I'd ever known. And suddenly the magic of Christmas that I thought that I'd lost forever when my grandpa died started to return. And today we're going to explore a famous Christmas hymn called What Child Is This? And I'm just going to go through the words with you today. It says, what child is this who laid to rest on Mary's lap is sleeping, whom angels greet with anthem sweet while shepherds watch are keeping? This, this is Christ the King, whom shepherds guard and angels sing. Haste, haste to bring him laud, the babe, the son of Mary. The second stanza says, why lies he in such mean estate where ox and lamb are feeding? Good Christian, fear for sinners here. The silent word is pleading. Nails, spear, shall pierce him through. The cross be born for me, for you. Hail, hail, the word made flesh. The babe, the son of Mary. And the final stanza. So bring him incense, gold, and myrrh. Come peasant king to own him. The king of kings salvation brings. Let loving hearts enthrone him. Raise, raise a song on high. The virgin sings her lullaby. Joy, joy, for Christ is born, the babe, the son of Mary. 
I think that <clears throat> we'd all agree that songs like this, they spark up a sense of nostalgia. But before we look into the song itself, I want to share a little bit about the man who wrote it. His name was William Chatterton Dix, and he was a businessman from Scotland. And in the mid-1800s, when he was in his late 20s, he got very, very sick. He was so sick and, and, and so depressed from his sickness that he was bedbound for quite some time. And, and while he was kind of knocked down and slowed down and depressed and struggling with his health, he experienced a, a spiritual awakening. And that led him to write this incredibly inquisitive song about Jesus. Somehow his illness didn't keep him focusing only on things that were happening to him, like the inward things, but they led him to seek after an external source that was greater. And he was awakened to the newborn king of kings. And I pray for you and in my own life that all of the hard things that you go through and I go through lead us to that place. No matter what form that we experience our pain, I pray that it would point us to the one who has purpose even in that pain and through it. The Apostle Paul tells us that this should be the Christian reality, Romans 8.28. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him who have been called according to his purpose. The name of the song, of course, is What Child Is This? As if that's a, a legitimate question, right? I'm pretty sure that everybody who is watching this or will watch this knows that this song is about Jesus. Of course, the question is rhetorical. And the point of the, the song name is to draw us into the magic of the story of Christmas and of the plan of God himself. No one's wondering, like, oh, what child is this? I'm not sure who this is. But it, because at the heart of the song, the real question, I don't believe, is, is what child is this, but what God would come down to his own creation as a weak and helpless child. I want you to just think about that for a second. What kind of God must we have that he came to earth in the form of a helpless and weak baby? It says so much about him, doesn't it? So what we're going to do today is pick apart this song, and we're going to tie the main ideas in the song to several relevant biblical passages. There are three ideas that I see that we're going to talk about today. The first one is identity. The second one is humility. And finally, we're going to talk about how this song is really an invitation. So here's the first theme that I see in the song, and it's the question of the identity of Jesus. The question of the identity of Jesus. The picture here is, uh, how does a child command the attention of heaven and of earth? Somewhere around 385,000 kids are born every single day in this world. So what is it about this one child that should grab the attention of everyone, big and small, not only on earth, but commanding the attention of all of the angels of heaven? What is it about this child that makes angels announce his birth? I think we can say that clearly there's something otherworldly happening. And what does it say that uh, about this other world that, that makes God himself show up for the religious leaders who look down, who, who look down upon the, these, the dirty shepherds as, as unworthy and unclean? <clears throat> Good parents always make a big deal out of their children's birth, right? But let's be honest, not this big of a deal. 
This is far larger than anything that we see with any of the people that are born today. And that's because this was no normal child. This was the birth of the one who was talked about in the Old Testament scriptures. Somewhere in the range of 450 to 600 times, Jesus was referred to in the Old Testament before his birth. And it's estimated that Jesus fulfilled somewhere around 300 prophecies just in his three-year earthly ministry. Even hardened skeptics have to slow down and consider that maybe, just maybe, Jesus might be who he said he was, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. This was the message of Christmas, Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 12. It says, And there were shepherds living in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Do you see how important the identity of Jesus is? The identity of Jesus is of utmost importance to all people. The author C.S. Lewis, he spoke to this and, and he said, A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things that Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with a man who says he's a poached egg, or else he would be the devil himself. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God, or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about him being a great human teacher. He has not left that for that to be open to us. He did not intend to. The child who commanded the attention and the adoration of heaven and earth is Emmanuel, God with us. The second theme that I see in the song is found in the second stanza, and it's the characteristic of humility. The characteristic of humility. The writer of the hymn asked, why does he lie in such poor conditions with animals that are eating. That sounds anything but royal or important, doesn't it? What an absolutely terrible marketing campaign that God must have. The creator of all things, the one who breathed life into the stars and into the world and to all the people that you see, he came to earth to smelly shepherds and to be fed first in the company of animals. <laughs> I can't think of anything that, that, that seems less important than that. I have to wonder, though, is the way that Jesus came into the world and humility with so little fanfare for a king, is it also a picture of how he was one day going to leave the world, dying on a cross for people that he came to save? That is actually the picture of absolute strength bathed in peace and humility with complete assurance of who he was and what he came to do. And it makes me think of how the Apostle Paul said that we should be because if Jesus isn't affecting our lives, then we're missing out on this connection with what God wants to do in us and through us. The Apostle Paul in Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11, speaks a very practical message, a practical theology for us today. He says, In your relationships with one another, 
In other words, how you relate to people today. Have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by being obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God escalated him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus didn't need the accolades of the well-connected, and he never wielded his power against people. And this hymn reminds us that we too are to be content with living lives that are humble, that, that we're not people who are characterized by, by chasing after our own well-being first. This doesn't mean we shouldn't care about ourselves, but we should never be looking to take care of ourselves only, but also seeking to do the good for, good for others with the strength that God has blessed us with. The final theme that I see is in the third stanza, and it's this beautiful picture of invitation. It's about invitation. It says, so in light of all these things that Jesus is, bring him incense, gold, and myrrh. And then it says, come peasant and king to own him. Those are words that are a little weird sounding to us, but, but what that means, it's not to own him as if Jesus is a possession. What it's saying is, this Jesus is to be acknowledged and will be acknowledged by people who are peasants, so the lowest people in society, and he'll be acknowledged by kings who are the most well-connected and the wealthy people in society. Jesus is a king for all people. The Gospel of Matthew gives this stanza its, its right biblical context because the gifts of incense, gold, and myrrh were the gifts that, that the men known as the Magi brought to Jesus. It is believed by many Bible scholars that Daniel would have counseled while he was in captivity in Babylon, he would have counseled many people like King Nebuchadnezzar, and he would have helped them to read the Old Testament, particularly from the, the book of Numbers in chapter 24, verse 17, when uh, God told the people about a star that will come out of Jacob. And it says, it describes it as a scepter will rise out of Israel. So this, along with many other prophetic writings that, that Daniel would have had access to, it probably would have caused the Magi to believe enough in Daniel and what he said about this Savior that Daniel believed in, that they would have likely been people related to those very people who would have gone on this great long trip to bring a gift to the Savior. This gives fresh insight and, and even richer meaning to, to scripture like 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, when Paul wrote, I urge then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. This is good and pleases God our Savior, who wants all people to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. God cares about peasants, and he cares about magi. He cares about kings in different countries and people who don't believe in him. He wants everyone to be saved. Can you start to grasp 
just how far God goes out of his way to invite people, to invite his children home. It's the poor and rich, the shepherds and religious leaders, men and women. It's all races. He loves them all. He loves you all. When I see once again just how really inclusive God wants to be, it makes me love him that much more because there's no one that's out of his reach. And still yet, Jesus said in John 14, verse 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That is, by definition, exclusive. But don't look at the exclusivity of Jesus as trying to keep people out. What he is just doing is telling us the truth, the reality of how we come to the Father. It is his desire that we would all say yes to him and not continue to live in our own ways any longer. You're invited. We all are. What do you think? What child is this? If this is your Savior, if Jesus is your Savior this Christmas, I encourage you to sing this song, What Child Is This?, with a new fervor and a passion. Give God everything that you have because your Savior has come. Let's worship him with all of our hearts. May God bless you, and we'll see you next week. 